Thank you for that, Kevin. Can everybody hear me? Can everybody hear? Okay. Is it on? Well, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Brian, and I am not one of the pastors here. So if this is good, then praise God. But if it's not, then you know why. Um... You know, if you would have told me several years ago that, that I would have preached in London and in Scotland, and by 2019 I would be preaching at my home church at Malvern Hill, I would have thought you were crazy. You know, when, when you're seeking God's will and you're asking him to open doors and, and walk through them, he'll put you in places that you never thought you would be. But one of the things that always makes me laugh as I, as I think back over the last several years and what God has allowed me to be part of is, is if you would have told me that me and Buster would have ended up in a bar together watching a football game, I would have thought that you had lost your mind. <laughs> but it's true, we had missed a flight headed to Caracas and the only thing that we could do to kill time was watch a football game. And just to ease your minds, I bought the Diet Cokes. So, um, you just never know where God might take you when you're seeking his will. Buster preached a couple weeks ago in Ephesians 5, 15 through 18. And the gist of it is Drinking, don't get drunk because for it's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And I asked my life group last week a question. I said, do we all agree that being drunk is wrong according to God's Word? And they all said, yeah. I'm not talking about drinking. I'm talking about being drunk according to God's Word. So then the question I asked was, then is it also wrong not to be filled with the Holy Spirit? See, that's the question we need to ask. Is it also wrong if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit in the Christian believer's life? This past year, 2018, we have seen God do some amazing things. I mean, he, is, he has transformed lives. He has done just some incredible things in the hearts and lives of the people at this church. And most of us have seen it. He's worked in my life. And as 2018 came to a close, it's a question I had been asking myself for, for the last several years as, as, as I've walked with God and he's put me in different places. Is God, what, what's the next steps? What, what's, what's, what's next steps for Malvern Hill? You know, because re- it has really been good. This past year has been wonderful. It has been amazing at how God has moved. But you know, what I found in my own life is that when things are good, we can get complacent. can also almost get lazy. We can kind of just go with the flow. 
And I appreciate what Kevin had to say last week in his message. He talked about the eye test. Man, how often could I take an eye test and fail? You know, because it's what I've referred to before, this me, myself, and I problem. I call it the unholy trinity. It's about my wants, my desires, my hopes, my dreams, my agenda, and ultimately, my will be done. And yet, for the Christian believer, it's not supposed to be about that anymore. It's supposed to be about God's will. And I don't really have to talk too much about our own will because we're so well acquainted with it. You know, it comes naturally. So, that's why I've titled this message The Prescription for Being in God's Will. Because as the Christian believer, that is what we should be seeking to do every day. So if you'll turn with me to Ephesians, I'm sorry, if you'll turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5. Verses 16 through 18. Now, before we get started, I want you to know I'm not preaching this to y'all because it is preached to me over and over and over and over again. Even before Craig asked me two months ago to, to do a Sunday morning, this has been on me for a while. So I want you to hear me when I say that, that I'm not preaching to you, that something that hasn't already preached to me. But as it is our custom here, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. This is Paul speaking to the Thessalonians. Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let us pray. Father, we just come before you now, God. And I pray that you would anoint this time with your Holy Spirit. God, that you would speak your words. God, that you, there would be receptive hearts. And God, I pray now that you would permit me to speak your word. For it is in Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Rejoice always. That's what Paul is telling the church at Thessalonica. 
And before we get started, I want to I deal with one little Greek word here. It is pas, P-A-S. It means always. It means everything. It means anything. It means any. It means whatsoever, whosoever. And it means all. Now, this is a word that I have seen marginalized, diminished when it comes to God's word, and I've also seen it dismissed. Because this word here means all with no exceptions. And it's a word that I have seen probably diminished more in my life than, than probably anyone. Because all means all. And Paul is talking to a church that has been heavily persecuted. And he is telling them to rejoice always. To be joyful always. Paul didn't preach what he didn't practice. Now, oftentimes we can look at someone and maybe quote a scripture to someone who might be struggling and have never had a struggle. And it'd be easy to tell them that. But we really don't understand much. But Paul knew about suffering. If you'll flip with me to Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. It says, not only that, but we glory in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces patience, and patience produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, Paul knew something. Paul knew that the sufferings that he went through produced something. Either produces patience, character, or hope. That's what he tells us in his word. Paul says that he gloried in it. That word there means to take great pleasure in. When is the last time we could say, I take great pleasure in my suffering? But Paul says he takes great pleasure because it's producing something. God's working something out in his life. When trials come, we should ask, what am I to learn, not why me? So I would say, if you're going through something today, then rejoice. If you're a child of God, because God's trying to work something out in your life. It may be patience. 
It may be character. It may be hope. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10, three times I pled with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, this is Jesus speaking, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul, therefore, I will glory all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's that same word again. That glory. Some of your translations might say rejoice. It's not the same one as in in Thessalonian. He says, I take great pleasure in hardship and in insults and in persecution and in suffering because he knows that it's producing something in his life. It's making him to look more and more like Christ. And for the believer, that should be our desire. But you know, it doesn't come automatically. Paul had to learn it. He tells us in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Whether I'm in want or in need or in abound... I have learned what it takes to be content. Paul had to learn it. Paul had to learn through his trials and his hardships and his sufferings. Because in our life, that's where God hammers out his will in our life into bending us, molding us, and shaping us more into His image. So how did He learn? He learned through weakness, insults, and hardships. I don't particularly want to learn that way. Do you? Does anybody in here want to learn to love Christ more, to be more like Christ through what Paul just said here? No. But yet, we want to be like Paul though, right? We want to be the great preacher to the Gentiles. Everybody wants to be like Paul. But nobody wants to walk the road that Paul had to walk to get to where he was. Trials come. It's a fact of life. God doesn't hide it in his word from Genesis to Revelation. There's some awful things that have happened throughout history 
to the believer. Just read God's Word. Paul moves on. And he says, pray without ceasing. So we're to rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Now Paul was about some prayer now. Just read his epistles. He was always praying. We can go back to Acts 16, where Adam preached a few weeks ago. Paul and Silas, they were on a way to a place of prayer when Lydia got saved. They were on the way to a place of prayer when the demon-possessed woman got saved. They were in prison after being beaten with rods, shackled at the feet, and at the midnight hour, they were praying and getting their praise on. Paul was about prayer. Now, this doesn't mean to go in a room somewhere, shut the door, and never come out. That's not what Paul's saying here. It's more of an attitude of prayer. It's an attitude of prayer in which it calls us to be ready to turn anything into prayer. It's a mindset in which everything we see, everything we feel, every thought that we have can be turned to prayer. What do I mean by that? Well, for those of you who are in life groups, we always take prayer requests. So as you go throughout the week, someone pops into your head, you pray for them. I know there's some women that have been pregnant in our church and that are pregnant in our church, and they might pop in my head and I'll say, God, I pray for such and such and her child. Be with them in their pregnancy. Keep them safe. Amen. We can see an amazing sunset or an amazing sunrise. And we can praise and worship God right there and say, God, thank you for this awesome creation that you have made. Or the thought life. That's the one that can get me. You know, people, things, has things ever popped into your head that you're just like, man, where in the world did that nasty stuff come from? I can't even believe something like that would even go through my head, and yet it did. You know, some people struggle with lust. Some people struggle with covetousness. You know, those thoughts pop right in your head. You're like, man, where did that come from? But right there, that's an opportunity to pray. God, I don't know where that came from, but God, take it from me. I need you right now. Simple prayer. That's that ongoing prayer. A spirit of prayer is being ready to pray in anything and everything in which we find ourselves. We are never more than a thought away from prayer. Praying is 
probably the easiest thing we can do as a Christian. Why? It doesn't cost us a thing. But maybe a quiet moment. But yet, we can go days and weeks without praying at all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And in all circumstances, here's that all word again. In all circumstances, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Buster talked about this a couple of weeks ago, about being in God's will and knowing God's will. The Bible's plain. It tells us right here, this is God's will for you. This is God's will for me. In all circumstances. And yes, all means all with no exceptions. You know, it's easy when the kids are healthy, there's money in the bank, have a good car, good home, good job, plenty to eat. You know, it, it can be easy to give thanks. But Paul is writing to Christians who are being heavily persecuted. And I want you to understand this. Because there's no doubt that some of these people that he's writing to, their feet stood at the graves of sons and daughters, mothers and fathers, possibly brothers and sisters, who have died for the faith. And yet Paul is saying, in all circumstances, give thanks. Man, that's tough. See, Paul knew something about suffering. He knew what it was to suffer and give thanks. He knew what it was to suffer and praise God. He knew what it was to suffer and pray to God. And he says, give thanks. I'm speaking to myself here as well. But I believe here in America, we need to reevaluate what suffering really means. Again, I'm speaking to myself as well. But we need to reevaluate how we define suffering and hardship. Now, I know there are times that we have in our life when we do face some suffering. I don't deny that. But if we're honest, most of the time, it's just an interruption in our comfort and convenience. It's just an interruption in our comfort and convenience. 
just because you can't go out to eat this month or go on a certain vacation that you would like to do doesn't mean you're facing hardships. Just because, here you go, just because you can't live a certain lifestyle that someone else might be living is not suffering. It's not. We live in the greatest country ever known to man for the wealth that we have. And yet I was at the cardiologist Friday and I was waiting on the doctor. I was sitting there looking at the TV screens for advertisement that says one in ten in America faces depression. Now, I don't deny that there is clinical depression, so hear me say that. But I would say most of the depression that we deal with is an inconvenience that we're not getting our way. Something didn't go the way we wanted it to go. Are there any professional grumblers and complainers in here? I got my hand raised. Yeah, I love my girls. I do. They asked me this morning, Daddy, you going to use us? I said, maybe. So here you go. But I have never seen someone act as if they are going to die when their mama asks them to fold the clothes. <laughs> I mean, literally, in the chair. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my goodness, really? I mean, have y'all ever had to deal with that? Okay, all right, so we're not the only one. And I'm like, Oh, be grateful. Just be grateful, please. <laughs> it's just clothes. Fold them, please. But why have I got to do it? Sissy ain't doing nothing. <laughs> okay. So, leads me to my next verse, of which my daughters know very well. It's Philippians 2.14. Does anyone know that one? That all word is coming again, just to let you know says to do all things without grumbling or complaining. This is Paul. And he covers all the bases here because in the Greek, the grumbling and the complaining, it's the inner complaining and the outward complaining that he's talking about. So grumbling inwardly and outwardly, it's the same thing. And Paul says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Now, there is a time, and we find it in the, God's Word, that complaining is okay. And it's, the word actually used is lamenting. So you find that in the Psalms a lot. David and some of the others are lamenting. So it is a, 
I hate to say complaining, but that's kind of the idea, but it's a, it's a lament. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. What Paul is talking about here is a sin. And what it boils down to is that when we grumble and complain, it's to say, God, I don't deserve this, whatever that this might be. And ultimately, it's saying, God, you're just unfair. That's what it's saying. And also, when we've seen people grumble and complain, does it look pretty? No. You're also ruining your testimony in front of other people when you grumble and complain. So Paul tells us, do not grumble or complain. I believe that we have bought the lie in America of comfort and convenience. I've seen it in my own life. You know, when a little turmoil comes, I can either fall to pieces or come unglued. And yet, it's usually nothing to get upset about. And what I've had to realize is this is when I need to stop thinking about God's Word and I need to start preaching God's Word to myself. Because I've got to get over myself. I've got to start preaching His Word to me and take it all. Not the pieces I want, because then it's not God's word anymore. I got to take all of it. And when he says, do all things without grumbling and complaining, I've got to strive to not complain and grumble. Because God expects me to be thankful. And we have so much to be thankful for. You know, if someone had a good reason to grumble, Paul would be at the top of that list. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four 24 says, Five times I've received... From the hand, at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was at drift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, Danger from false brothers, in toil, hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, 
in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Paul was thankful. And if anyone would be at the top of the list for being able to grumble and complain, it was Paul. And that's why in Galatians 2.20, he could say this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul understood it was about living a life for Christ. And that's why he could say in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now this isn't a cheap slogan that we find on a bracelet or on the back of a t-shirt. Paul had to suffer many things. Bloodshed, stoning, beatings. In order for these words to roll off of his lips. To live as Christ and to die as gain. Paul knew something about living for Christ. And we should take from his example that when the turmoil and the interruptions and our convenience and comfort come, we should recognize what God has done for us. Paul says, in all circumstances, give thanks. We can look at another life, the life of Job. He lost his children. He lost his workers. He lost his possessions. Basically lost his business. And yet Job praised and worshipped God. He had lost everything, and yet his first response was to praise and worship God. Because see, Job knew something. He knew that you can't lose what you never had. Because see, Job knew who gave it, and Job knew who took it away. See, Job started out with the understanding that everything he had, it wasn't his. And I think that's where in my life, 
I get in trouble is I can look at around at the, the material possessions and, and the things that I have and say that it's mine. Because, see, I'm starting out at the wrong spot. Because it's not mine. It's God's. And whether you have a little or a lot, as the Christian believer, it's all his. And if we could come to the realization in our own life that, that we know who gives it, and then we know who can take it away. He just allowed me to have it for a little while. That's what Job knew. He started out with the understanding that everything he had wasn't his to begin with. What would it look like if we truly understood that? Because here's the thing. Job, Job wasn't going to praise God for the situation that he was in. He was praising God for being with him in the situation. And that's what Paul is saying here in all circumstances, not for Two different things. We don't praise God for the situation. We praise Him because He's in the situation with us. I'm not going to praise God that my house burnt down yesterday. But I am going to praise Him because I know who gave it and I know who took it away then it's nothing but material possessions. There's always a reason to give thanks. But let's be honest. We aren't used to giving him thanks when things are going right. And if we're not used to giving him thanks when things are going right, then you know we ain't going to give him thanks when things are going wrong. Dylan preached the other night, last Sunday night, about a surrendered heart. It's a grateful and thankful heart. That's what God wants and expects of each one of us who are believers is a grateful and thankful heart for what he has done. Buster stole my scripture, so here it comes again. Romans 8, 28. See, here's the thing. Paul knew something. Job knew something. And we also know something. We, just don't, we don't like to quote the scripture when, when it doesn't fit. But Romans 8, 28, we know that what? All things. There's that word all again. Let 
Now, when things are going good, amen, preach it. We know that all things. But see, we also know that in the tough times, that all things are working together. Because Paul has told us in Romans 5 that God is working something out in each one of our lives. When the situation goes south, what am I to learn? Is it patience, character, or hope? He's told us. He hasn't hidden any of this stuff. It's in His Word. Christ told us, John 16, 33, says we'll have trials and tribulations, yet be of good cheer. And Christ says, because I have overcome the world. He has overcome everything in this entire world. Be thankful about that. In all circumstances, give thanks for this is the will of God. In Christ Jesus for you. You want to know what God's will is for your life? It's right here. This is part of it. So when you ask the question, God, what's your will? Here's a checklist. Are you giving thanks in all circumstances? Are you praying continually? Are you rejoicing always? Because this is the key to that being filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's the catch to all this. The entire message to be in God's will. Here it is. You have to choose to be in God's will. I have to choose to be in God's will. So we can read this word, we can know what the word says, but if you don't choose to do it, then you'll, you'll walk out of here and you'll continue to be a grumbler and complainer. You'll continue to have an unthankful heart. You'll continue to be miserable and wondering why me. And yet God has told us, What he expects of us. Twenty-two years ago, my girlfriend at the time, which is my wife now, invited me to this church. I didn't grow up in church. And 
as I came to church with her, I heard a lot of things that I didn't know much about. But one thing was for sure, I knew that I wasn't right with God. Because there was a question that I had to deal with. And that question was, if you died today, do you know you would go to heaven? And my answer was, no. And you know, I had a filthy mouth, I drank, I cussed, I smoked, and all the other stuff that just went on inside of my head. You know, I tried, and I tried to clean myself up. You know, I tried to quit cussing. I tried to quit drinking. But yet, it never lasted. I didn't have the strength or the power to do it. And then one day, I heard the message that all God expects is a surrendered heart. A willingness to repent. That's what repent means. Is being willing to change. That's what God wants. He wants us to be willing to change. And when we're willing to change, He will give you a new strength and a new power, and a new joy, and a new peace. So if you're here today, and you answered no to that question as well, God will forgive you for everything that you've ever done. And He will set you on a new path and a new trajectory. And He will give you a new hope and a new joy and a new peace that is everlasting. So come to Christ. Believer, are you going to walk out of here today still with an ungrateful heart? What do you need to surrender today? Because God wants all of you. Now there's no doubt in my mind in a crowd this size, someone has thought to themselves, man, this is humanly impossible. And you would be right. But yet, Matthew 19, 26, here's that all word again. But with God, all things are possible. But are you willing? That is the question. Are you willing to change? Are you willing to surrender? Everything. I didn't say it was going to be easy. Let us pray. Father, we just come to you, God, thanking you and praising you, Father, for all that you've done.
God, you are worthy of all honor and praise. God, I pray now that if there is one here that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. God, that they would know that you love them and that you forgive them. All they have to be is willing to surrender their heart to you. So, Father, I pray that you would work like only you can. For it is in Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand. This altar is open.